place. It got very quiet. It did here. Everyone's very, everyone's, I don't know if it's nap time or people are in sessions. It's very, we're in a lot. It was so loud uh, this morning. I don't even know if anyone could hear us, but now I can hear everything. Now I feel like I have to whisper. Yes, now we'll yeah. be, this will be the quiet part of the broadcast. <laughs> so we got, uh, how much time, where are we at here time-wise? Want to make sure we, we stay on track. 25 we, after. We so. got our first question on social media. We did. We did. I'm actually, I told you I would check these hashtags. I am actually there. Uh, Jeff White, who is the co-founder of Valor Cybersecurity, asked about our thoughts on CERT, Community Emergency Response Teams. I know what CERT stands for because there's a giant sign across the street of us that has CERT. So there's CERT in uh, the United States. I know there's also CERT in Canada. He asked what our thoughts were on CERT. So I'll start with Alex. Do you know what CERT is? We'll start with that. Uh, you're going to have to ask the question again because I was taking care of some technical stuff. Alex do. was busy ignoring me. We're only an hour too. Uh, community emergency response teams. Do you know what, are you familiar with that term or those organizations? I, I know what they are. Okay. Uh, and to be honest here in Canada, I don't See, hear. There's, there's one right over there. So you can't, it's right on the side of the van. So you can't say there's not any in Canada. Oh, I, didn't say, I didn't say there wasn't <laughs> any in Canada. I'm not as familiar with them up here. I seem to be more familiar um, uh, with what's going on in the U.S. and some other countries. In Canada, I I don't think they're promoted enough because you because of what we're looking at. It looks like an ambulance. So yes. I always equate ambulance with a hospital. Okay. So... Um... Yeah, they may be different throughout North America. That's interesting. So the, the, the CERT, the community emergency response teams that I'm familiar with um, that they have in Florida are you have a, a group of uh, vetted volunteers, so just civilians, but they are trained on different aspects of emergency response and disaster response, usually by the local first responders. And so the thought is, and then that, if there's an incident, if there's a disaster, if something happens, that CERT team can then deploy and assist the community. Certainly the CERTs uh, I've been involved in in Florida are much more casual than the operational support van across the hall with flashing lights uh, and looks straight out of a sci-fi movie. Um, Alex and I will definitely be over there later today, but I think, I think, to me, you know, anytime the community can be involved in response, in preparation, in risk in mitigation, it's a good thing. And mm-hmm. to your point, yeah, certs um, are not as widely advertised as they, they should be. They're kind of hard to find. They're maybe often hard to get into. I would love to see those kind of community-based um, programs be expanded. It's some of the most effective response. Um, I did a, I did a workshop with FEMA looking at the response after hurricane Katrina in Louisiana and Louisiana is divided by, instead of counties, they're called parishes. And there was some analysis of certain parishes that were more resilient than others. And it basically came down to the community 
being part of preparation and response, being active parts of both of those and not passive. Kevin Newman said it great, you know, people sitting around waiting for the power to come on versus people in Ukraine just taking charge of doing what they needed to do and not necessarily letting the government help yeah. them. Because when you have a widespread issue, the government can't get to everyone. That's uh, right. So, yeah, with, with certs, I, I, I tend to think of um, the local uh, Red Cross, um, the local government officials and agencies there. Um, I don't think of my neighbors, you know, um, which is what some of these, some groups are, but usually, which are loose, would, would loose, loose groups, you know, informal, I guess is probably the better word, would be informal and formal cert groups. You're right, you know, it's kind of difficult to know who is a part of that, you know, is, is anybody in my neighborhood a part of that? You know, if it's neighborhood driven or if it is just local to a town or a city, who's really a part of that? And when you, I, I actually did years ago check to see uh, about something with that in Guelph. And, you know, it, really that were just list, listed were St. John's Ambulance, Red Cross, and a couple of other agencies that were a part of it. And I thought, oh, so it's not really a, a community like, like me. It, it would be more agency based. And that's, so that's kind of the perception that I've had ever since. And I'm not saying I, I'm, you know, I'm 100% right or I'm 100% wrong. That's just a perception that I had based on that search years ago. So I'd love to hear from the audience. If you are part of your local cert or if you've ever heard of cert, let us know. If you're a part, I'd love to know how you became a part of a cert, you know, how you got involved and how they, how they grow that, how do they, they test that, you know, because obviously like any group, people are coming and going. So how do you keep it going, you know, and bring in new, new ideas and things like that. So that, I would be interested in hearing that too. Exactly. I'm just checking to hear if we have any additional questions, any new questions, by the way, Alex doesn't know I recorded some videos. He's just seeing them now on my screen outside his car. <laughs> which I'm sure he's going to have some Great. comments about Hopefully my car later. in there. <laughs> no, there's no, I don't have your license plate. I respected your, your privacy for the most part. Uh, most part. Oh, okay. For the most part. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, no other questions so far. So we've, we've spoken a bit about uh, the, the, for me, this is a snowstorm. I mean, I was born and raised in Michigan, but I've been a Florida boy for very long time so half inch of snow i'm excited i was ready to get out there make some snowmen um but thinking about the the weather and looking at we've had some interesting tropical storms and hurricanes mm. this season we had hurricane ian uh which i think most people are very familiar with the impacts of, of hurricane ian in in florida but also we had Hurricane Fiona, which was uh, the, the most devastating in terms of financial impact hurricane to ever hit Canada. Yeah. And two weeks ago, uh, we had Hurricane Nicole. So a lot of areas that were still removing debris and still um, recovering from Ian were impacted by Nicole, I know in our neighborhood, we have some neighbors who are very excited about Christmas. 
and the holidays. And so the day after Halloween, November 1st, they put up all their, their Christmas decorations. And for the first time in my lifetime, I saw people who had to take Christmas decorations down because a hurricane was coming. Uh, and I wish I had a picture I could share right now. We found there was like a Santa on one of the streets. Nobody ever claimed it. So it blew in from another neighborhood. I never thought we'd be talking about hurricanes in Canada. I never thought we'd be talking about hurricanes and Christmas at the same time. So I wanted to pose to you with, with climate change and with these increasingly erratic tropical systems, the, the classic hurricane system of uh, season of June 1, through November 30th, technically, but a peak of the second and third week in September, um, and only looking at certain parts of North and Central America, do we need to reevaluate that? Is hurricane season going to become like, will the season ever end? Well, I, I know the East Coast in Canada, especially Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland, and New Brunswick, um, that were hit by uh, uh, Fiona they they're going to be looking at this because they usually get quote unquote the remnants of a hurricane and usually that hurricane has already hit florida or georgia or someplace along the east coast and you end up with just strong rainstorms and windstorms uh in the uh, maritimes sometimes uh, up here in toronto and guelph we'll get the northern edge of a, a rainstorm However, Fiona was completely different, missed all the U.S. states. Yes. Um, you Sure, you got some rain along the coast and things, but the whole hurricane situation was different because it was a full-fledged hurricane that hit the East Coast. That yes. is something that they are not prepared for. Correct. And unfortunately, um, there were some deaths and a tremendous amount of damage. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw some of the pictures yeah, did, that yeah. came out, and it was... You, if you've seen the East Coast homes, a lot, you know, the nice, beautiful, bright colored homes, you know, wood homes on stilts by the coast, just devastated. Homes, they're not used to that. So if, as you mentioned, the, the season seems to be starting a little bit earlier, going a little bit longer, then yeah, there's going to be some changes on the East Coast and some of these areas are going to look at it saying, well, you know, with all these hurricanes and a longer season, we may get hit again now. So do we build stronger homes further inland now? Uh, do we change the way we build our homes? Uh, do we start looking into evacuation plans or things like that? Because if Fiona can happen once, it could happen again. And you know, un unfortunately, that's what happens in Florida and Georgia and places down there a lot. And you experience that, you know, more than once a year. You know, um, we do at this point. Yeah. And I think it's causing, you know, it's certainly causing my family, it's certainly causing a lot of people to reevaluate where they choose to live. So when Hurricane Irma happened in, in 2017, um, I've spoken about this before, it did a lot of damage. It did a lot of uh, emotional and mental damage to a lot of people. And at the time we looked at it as a once in a generation storm. Um, once I don't think there's any such storm. thing anymore. And yeah, exactly. So my family and I are like, okay, you know, let's be honest, this sucks. There's no, there's no way around it. You have a lot of death and destruction. It's not uh, a desirable or uh, risk safe situation you want to be in. But I think you kind of, 
mentally compartmentalize or say, okay, well, every 20, 30 years, this horrible thing happens. And it's, it's amazing how we can just rationalize things. Mm -hmm. But uh, my family started, you know, speaking after Ian, like, okay, this once in a generational thing, Irma, it's been five years. And then Nicole came along 42 days later. So if, if once generational becomes the new normal, and we love talking about the new normal, all of us, uh, I'm, I'm very confident that my family will move somewhere else, but we have the luxury of, of doing that. I work remote. I just need an internet connection and a camera. Uh, sometimes I don't even need the camera as we found out this morning. Um, and I can, I can relocate where I work, my kids are about to uh, graduate high school. So we're not tied to a school district in the next two years. But a lot of families don't have those options. And yeah. I, I wonder what's going to happen is, is people's maybe desire to live certain places, the sunshine state, no longer desirable because we get hit by a hurricane every three days, every week, you're going to see people leave who can leave. Actually, it's interesting you just mentioned that because with Fiona uh, hitting the East Coast, the East Coast and those poor people in Nova Scotia and mm -hmm. Newfoundland, Prince Edward Island and New Brunswick, every year they get hit with massive snowstorms, yes. especially the last few years. Yeah. Big, big storms. And because of the pandemic, there's a lot of people from Ontario moving that way. Okay. So now it, it's kind of the opposite of what you were saying. More people are moving into those areas. So will that now contribute to changes to some of the existing plans and responses because now there's more people the people that are there have you know i don't know how they do it but they survive every year these terrible storms they've been able to go through it now there's more people coming in so are there is there going to be a review of some of these situations like the fiona you know not looked at as a one-off because hey fiona's hitting us you know, it's only a few weeks or two months later that we start getting snowstorms. So why are we going to start preparing for the winter earlier now because of situations like Fiona, because storms come earlier, like Nicole, just a, a week ago, week and a half ago. Do we look at that uh, as you know, part of hurricane season? It's not the it's the end of October, right? Right. Something like that. November 1st uh, is supposed to be the end. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> so, you know, now we're, we'll look into mid-November. Well, mid-November is, you know, winter, yeah. you know, really up here. So it, I, I think there is going to be a change in the way some of this is going to be looked at now because it's not a distinct start and, you know, anymore. It's going to be continuous. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the U.S. NOAA states that hurricane season in the United States ends November 30th. So it runs June. But for all practical purposes, prior to the last couple of years, as a Floridian, you always knew if you got to the, you know, the end of September, that's when the worst things happen. If you look at some of the most catastrophic storms uh, in the United States um, and, and Mexico and the Caribbean, they're historically August, September. Yeah. So if you get to September 30th, didn't matter what NOAA said, you were good to go. But now to your point, how do you prepare for Hurricane Fiona and a winter storm within a two-week time period? Yeah, those are two very different hazards, and now you you're going to have people, and you're going to have these 
these areas of Canada that now have to prepare for both simultaneously. Yeah, and it took weeks for some of these areas to get uh, power back. Yeah. There were, uh, I don't know about Ian, but I know with Fiona, there were some communities uh, <clears throat> almost three weeks later yeah. before they got power. Well, at this time of year, <laughs> you know, with winter kicking in, it's kicking in here, you know, with, with snow outside right now. Uh, on the East Coast, they get bigger storms. And how are you going to go from that, you know, a, a summer, quote, storm, like a hurricane, and then right into winter? So there, there's going to have to be a look at some of the responses and new ways of yeah. dealing with things, new ways of building homes, uh, new regulations are going to come into to effect. Um, all, all kinds of uh, response capabilities, as I said, with people moving into those provinces now. Um, there's going to be more people and greater demand for for some of this because a lot of people that are moving out that way are actually becoming remote workers, uh, as you described. Yeah. So it's going to be a whole, not, not just a, a procedural change and review, but there's going to be a mindset change, I think, uh, on the East Coast, especially with some of these climate change initiatives that are happening and impacts that are happening, sorry, I should say, and what is uh, currently in place right now. And I think, you know, we're going to see what, what we saw with Nicole. There's some aspects of cleanup and restoration that are going to be problematic. So uh, there's an area of Florida, the central state, the central part of the state, Polk County, they've been complete cleaning up debris from Hurricane Ian, they had trucks running, I was reading every day. So every day of the week, 42 days later, they still hadn't cleaned up all the debris, not from a lack of action, but just from the sheer amount of debris. Hurricane Nicole comes in, you've still got trees that have been cut down, now they're blown around. Mm -hmm. uh, and then from a restoration standpoint, I saw several buildings in Daytona Beach, Florida, that had to be evacuated prior to Hurricane Nicole, they had suffered some damage from Ian, so they were still relatively safe, if you want to use that word, to be inhabited by families or businesses. But the restoration and refortification of some of that structural damage hadn't been completed. And with Nicole coming, uh, the Volusia County and, and the city of Daytona Beach and city of Daytona said, hey, you have to evacuate these buildings because they've been stressed or slightly damaged. And now just a little damage will will hit them. And we certainly saw that around, around the state of Florida with Nicole as it was the end of the rainy season, just a few inches of rain in mm -hmm. areas that are already saturated or prone to flooding. There was a lot of, a lot of damage. So yeah. that's happening quite a bit in, oh, oh they're, uh, they're announcing lunch. Most important <laughs> announcement of the day, uh, Dan Joyce with CRT, just advising the exhibitors that if they want lunch, they should get it now. Yes. Very smart. Because <laughs> it'll probably be gone really He's quick. He's a smart sure. man. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. These, um, like you, you mentioned the frequency. The, uh, I, I think the, this once in a generation, once in a lifetime things, forget it. Those, those, all that stuff is gone. It's happening way too much. Look, the, look at the floods in Australia. I, I've been to Lismore and they've had uh, two big floods over the last five years. Um, before that, it was decades. And I saw the, the markers on the telephone pole. It was uh, just a few feet below the, uh, the top of the telephone pole. And that's as high as it got at one point. Well, apparently it was even worse this time around. 
and a bridge that I was standing on looking at this telephone pole back, you know, five, six years ago um, was all covered, the bridge, everything. So it, it's getting worse and they're expecting floods again soon. So it, it's, you know, this once in a generation thing, it, it's really out the window. There's no such thing as once in a generation anymore um, because it's happening every couple of years. And I think we need to think of plans and responses and um, looking at these threats in a whole new new way, not as in if, but really when. Yeah, and it's going to change a lot of aspects of our industry. So if you look at the actuarial tables that insurance companies use for flood insurance, and you have these, oh, you're in a floodplain where it can be hit once every 500 years or 100 years or 50 years. Those are all going to, like you said, those are all going to go out the window. How are insurance companies going to determine and how are they going to assess these increasingly volatile and erratic risk are, are they even going to are they going to say you know because of where you are too bad it's happening too much we yeah. can't afford it anymore and or, or your insurance rates are going to be so much you can't afford insurance we're seeing that in another industry there's the cyber cyber insurance cybersecurity insurance industry a lot of providers have gotten out of that industry and a lot mm-hmm. of those providers are being consolidated because five years ago that was a random one-off thing and now it happens every day and insurance companies just no matter how much they raise their premiums are not able to uh, keep ahead of that so it'll be interesting to, to me is in in a lot of these areas if companies will pull out of business interruption insurance or flood insurance um, we certainly see that in Florida after every hurricane, there are companies that exit the the business. Like we no longer insure homes or buildings yeah. in Florida, but they probably never contemplated having those conversations for, like you said, the areas impacted by Fiona. Yeah. They never, never would have had that uh, uh, conversation about a major uh, hurricane coming through because they've never had one. They've yeah. always had the aftermath, not the actual hurricane. So Well, James, we've actually come to the end of our uh, second hour, uh, sponsored by Basecamp. Yeah, want to thank Basecamp Connect again for sponsoring this hour. Uh, Basecamp Connect simplifies radio, voice, and data communications by connecting otherwise incompatible mutual aid partners through portable and autonomous systems designed to assist public safety entities to deliver timely and accurate interventions. Thank you, Basecamp Connect. You can check them out at basecampconnect.com. And check out uh, Francis's talk a little earlier. And uh, we were taking about 10, 15 minute break and we'll be coming back with hour three.